I did it. God, she was yelling at me. Yeah, she's a bit much sometimes. Recording in progress. <laughs> <sighs> She'll get you. Yeah. She definitely did. Silly Zoom. Silly Zoom. <laughs> it's silly Willy Zoom. Oh my God, my jobs make me lose my mind. Why? So there's this like shady guy who helps, has been like helping our residents as like a third party or whatever. And uh, I'm not going to say a ton because he's like real shady, but he's real shady. And he got into, he's like sassy because they talked to me yesterday because I just had enough of him. So. Yeah, he yeah. probably listens to this podcast and he's going to like come and get you. I don't think he will, but I know that my coworkers do, and I just don't want to like say anything that um, could get our company in trouble, I guess. So that's really good of you. I'm just trying not to get fired or sued. You know, that's, that's usually a good move. I hope they don't sue me. I have nothing to give them. So. <laughs> <laughs> get out my student loan debt. <laughs> that's all it is. Yeah, you'd gladly pass that off. Oh I my think God, we all yeah. would. Anybody who wants to like give me $300,000 for miscellaneous items would be great. Yes. Mainly my student loans, but other miscellaneous items. What? I can't hear a single thing you're saying. Can you hear me now? Yes. Oh, God. I turned the power off to my microphone. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways. Welcome to Hysterical History, where we sit down, talk about our favorite stories, and of course, laugh. Your hosts are Whitley Trussler and Emily Gummery. All right, let's get this show started. Oh, Lord. Okay, well, seeing as we're um, literally recording this <laughs> the day before it's supposed <laughs> to come out. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I guess we should get started. Yeah. Do you want to go first or you want me to go first? Well, I'm going to talk about uh, Elena Rojevskia. Uh, I've been practicing that name a lot, so we can either start with Nazi Germany or end with Nazi Germany, depending uh, on your preference. Either way, we're ending or starting with Nazi Germany. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. I just got to finally though. happened. It has finally happened. Guys, I don't know if you know this, but Whitley and I don't tell each other the stories we're going to do. So there could be a day where we come here with the same <laughs> fucking topic. I don't think this is the time. I did mention on last week's episode that I would continue the Rzevskia story, but that Mine, probably floated out of your mind and just subconsciously you were like Nazi liter- Germany. No, it did. So one, it did float out of my mind. I completely forgot we were doing like a sub kind of like part two situation, but I, <laughs> I literally got this off Instagram. <laughs> uh, thanks to real history uncovered. So, um, 
Yeah. But either I'm cracking up because either way we're beginning or starting on Nazi Germany. <laughs> well, I guess since I already mentioned Rajevskia, we can just zip through her story. Well, I feel um, like we should anyway, because in the minute you'll forget how to pronounce her last name. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> it, it has also helped that I have been reading her book, uh, Memoirs of a Wartime Interpreter. Um, yeah, I need that when you're done. It's really good. I'm only like 20% through it, but um, her journey as an interpreter is just very interesting. And I'll kind of gloss over that um, here. But yeah, she, just to recap for people. Um, I was going to say, maybe we should recap what your story was last week. So that way people understand how it ties in. Yes. So last week we talked about Hitler theories on whether he's alive or dead and the different conspiracies that are surrounding his potential survival. And Rzevskia, Elena Rzevskia was um, a, a member of the Soviet army. She was an interpreter, so she spoke German. Um, so she would go into like interrogations, very interesting things she would get sucked into, like reading classified documents and translating them, all this kind of very interesting top secret stuff. Um, but they gave her the only remains that could be identified as Hitler's, which were his teeth in May of 1945. So they say. So they say, yes. Um, as we discussed last week, we don't trust the Soviet Union or Russia. So, so they say. Yes, yeah, so they say. Um, but it was kind of interesting because like reading some of the quotes that she has about this time, it's very interesting because basic, she, basically she's just like, wait what we're like pretending he's not dead even though i just did all this work to confirm that he's dead and now we can't tell anybody um so it's kind of interesting like okay anyway i'm gonna listen to the story first i'm gonna listen to the story first i'm not going i mean everybody has to form their own opinion here whether or not you want to trust brzevskia or stalin that's you know up to you i'm just saying one of them is stalin Stalin. I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm also not saying I'm not right. So, like, maybe just listen to me. Share my opinion. This is Fox News. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> okay. Anyway, you're you're up. You're up to bat. You're on the mound. Okay. Perfect. Let's go. Um. So we recapped, and. Yeah, she was there when they found Hitler's corpse, but wait, what? I know Marty's stopping you, but she was there when they found the corpse. Yes, she was there. Oh, see, I did. I, okay. I missed that part. Okay. But yeah, she was in, and I'll go through it. Um, but basically at the time of the Nazi attack on the Soviet Union. So we're going back now to before she joined the wartime effort in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, she was studying philosophy at Moscow State University. Um, but much like I think a lot of people at this time wanted to participate in the wartime effort. Um, but she particularly wanted to be on the battlefront, which I think that's an interesting thing for Russia is that they had a lot of women on the battlefront and not just doing things like 
Rzhevsky I was doing, like interpreting German for the Soviet army. Um, in her book, there's even a part about a female uh, Soviet sniper who like, she has her camo, she just lays in the snow all day, like she's worried about freezing to death and she's just sniping Nazis. Like that is this woman's job in the army. Feel like I've heard of her before. Maybe something like a movie or a show or something I watch. We should one of us should do that because that would be cool to do. Yeah, yeah. It's just interesting. I think a lot of women were involved in the war effort beyond just what we think of when we think of Rosie the Riveter and like, oh, I'm doing my part working in a factory and um mm -hmm. and like there were Red a lot Cross. of women. Yeah, yeah. There were like nurses on the front line, which is what a lot of people think about, but there were also I read another book called Hello Girls about the telephone operators who <laughs> communicated to the troops on the front line, to the leadership that was just directly behind the front line. And sometimes they were even right there in the fighting and people would go out and repair the phone lines because it was they were just such an integral part of the wartime effort on, on several sides. I wanted to like that book so bad. I know. It was like I wanted dry. to like it and I just... I could not, I could not get into it, but Hey, that's somebody else could like it. So I, um, I would recommend I mean, I think, trying it. Yeah, I agree. It is a little dry, but there are some good nuggets in there. Um, little chicky nugs, if you some will. Chicky nugs. Yeah. No sauce for the nugs, but they're nugs. Definitely no sauce. <laughs> um, but yeah, she wanted to join the battlefront, but initially, she was sent to work in a munitions factory and then later studied to be a nurse on the front line because that was kind of the the common pathway that I think a lot of people thought about when they thought about being on the front line. But there was a shortage of interpreters on the Soviet side. Mm. And because of her upbringing, she learned German when she was a child. So she grew up in Belarus. Um, and not actually, she wasn't actually Russian, but she obviously there's a lot of countries in the Soviet Union at the time. Right. Um, so because of this experience, she heard they were looking for interpreters. She knew German. They needed people who knew German. She went and said, hey, I want to do this. They said, okay. And they sent her to a school for wartime interpreters. So because they were just such a shortage, they were like, yep, let's go. Um, and then the book too, there's, there's some interesting things where, um, it was supposed to be like a four month training course. They did it in two, of course. Um, and then like, they're like, okay, here you go. It's you're joining this troop and, uh, you got to jump out of a plane tomorrow. No training whatsoever on that Shut kind of stuff. Shut the hell up. No, I'm not kidding. So she ended up like having to do that stuff. Like, yeah, they just sent them out there and they had none of the, like, granted a lot of the soldiers didn't have that kind of training. But like that was their expected job, right? Not right. Like if that's you're an a, interpreter. That's the shit they signed up for. Yeah. But anyways, in 1942, she joins as an interpreter, and she moves along with the army as they're pushing west against Nazi Germany. Um, so she goes through Belarus, Poland, and then eventually ends up in 1945 in Berlin, which we'll get to in a minute, where she helps with identifying Hitler's remains. So as a translator are they just I'm obviously they're translating like to other people that they encounter listening for um like 
uh, enemy communications. You know. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> like while they're walking by and hiding and stuff, but are they also utilizing them for anything that they in- intersect? Yeah. So she's inter intercept. Intercept. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. So she's on the, like, she is actually on the front lines, like just behind it. So a lot of the stuff she gets is like, they'll overtake a town that was just occupied by Germany, Mm -hmm. bring back all those documents. And she is asked to translate them to see if there's any helpful intel. And actually a lot of her job was being in interrogations of German soldiers. So Mm -hmm. she would help, she would be the communicator in the middle. Gotcha. And, um, yeah, so she's just like sent in there, like one of the few women in her troop, and she's just like such an important person, which I think is really cool. Um, she sounds like a Swiss Army knife, like she's jumping out of planes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she eventually, in April 1945, she's transferred to Berlin, and her troop becomes part of the Third Army, which was responsible for the attack on the Reichstag. So she's like, she wanted to be on the battlefront. She's like on the battlefront. She's there. Um, so the Soviet troops, they captured the Reich Chancellery and the subterranean Fuhrer bunker on the 2nd of May. And we know that from eyewitness accounts, Hitler committed suicide on April 30th. So they're like a few mm-hmm. days late because, you know, they have to get through the city and in battle up to where the Fuhrer bunker is. Right. So they initially found Goebbels and his wife, Magda, identified them. Um, They publicized that report that they found the remains, which apparently Stalin was outraged that they just published this report. And he immediately ordered after that to keep all records related to the search for Adolf Hitler and um high-ranking officials top secret he didn't want it leaked and for what purpose like why i don't know and i i can't really find anything very concrete on this but he's like stalin is the one who perpetuated like we talked about last week the theories that hitler escaped to argentina or spain because he was he he contradicts all of the research that is done by Rzhevsky's team. And then Rzhevsky is told like never speak about this again. This never happened. Which we'll get to in a second as well. This is not me opening myself up to like hauntings, but if I just, you know, happen to have a dream where I'm in a meeting with Joseph Stalin and he explains all of this to me, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm saying it out loud for the universe to hear. You're getting haunted tonight for sure. Not like haunted, haunted, but just like visit me in a dream and explain this to me because I'm so fucking confused. It is very bizarre. Um, So two days after they find Goebbels and his wife, on May 4th, one of the Soviet privates that's in in the, um, the unit that's investigating the Fuhrer bunker he finds a shell hole so like a bomb like shelled it out there's a big hole yeah with unusually fresh soil so obviously something was put in there Hmm. because you don't just have a shell 
that was a hole, like a hole that was a hole, and then it's like full of soil. That's that's a little suspicious. Thank you for that description. You're welcome. Yeah. Holes are holes little... and not holes are not holes. Correct. And if it's a hole that's not that was a hole that isn't a hole anymore, it's sus. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Glad we clarified. Are you that. all following? <laughs> So it's a suspicious hole that is not a hole any longer because this hole, once they, it becomes a non-hole, <laughs> they turn it back into a hole by digging out the dirt and find a charred male and female corpse within. But they're like, oh, we're just going to leave these alone. So they put them back. Shut up. And they refilled the hole again. So the hole. Shut up. Yeah. They just put the dirt back in and. It's because they thought they were like, oh, these probably aren't important people. Like, we already found Hitler on the night of May 3rd. It was a double. It was a Hitler double. Oh, yes. I've heard that. And it that. was later debunked as belonging to Hitler. So the Soviets were like, uh, oops, I guess we'll dig out those corpses again from that hole we took them out of and then put them back in. So they pulled the two corpses out, which are claimed to be Hitler and his wife Eva and they also dug up the bodies of two dogs that were in the hole with the two individuals that is so sad I know those poor dogs they could have continued on in their life yeah they didn't do any Nazisms. we hope not maybe the whole thing was just controlled by dogs who would suspect a dog <sighs> Theodore He's... he knows some shady shit back there look at him I know he is shady shit. <laughs> so then they moved the corpses to a morgue. A secret transport took place in the middle of the night to prevent the commander of the city, Berzerin, and his fifth assault army from claiming a stake in the findings. So for some reason, there must have been some political thing going on where they're like, we don't want the current commander that we put in charge to know that we're transferring potentially Hitler's remains. You know, the guy who works for us. Yeah, but apparently Berzerin somehow finds out anyways, and he commissions Colonel Vasily Gorbachev, um, who Rzhevsky had served as his interpreter at points during the war, with investigating Hitler's fate, if this was Hitler's body, how he died, etc. So according to Rzhevsky, the burnt corpses were wrapped in sheets and then lifted over the fence of the Chancellery Garden and into two large crates for ammunition where they were then put on a truck and snuck to this improvised morgue on in the middle of the night basically oh because that's what we want people in an improvised morgue telling us that this is hitler's body or not yeah <laughs> exactly. okay i fully trust this and this part like kills me just the way it was typed in the article i was researching it, it says hitler's dental remains hyphen said to be found loose in the oral cavity but somehow clamping down on the tongue which is like really funny because like the person writing this is also suspicious um so again found loose in the oral cavity but somehow clamping on the tongue is how they found the teeth that was the description this is really testing my last two brain cells i can't <laughs> i just what so the teeth that were remaining consisted of a golden maxillar bridge and a lower jawbone fragment with teeth and dental work. And Hitler apparently had really awful teeth, had a lot of dental work done. So 
Gorbachev gave a casket, which is sometimes translated as cigar box. And it was just this little dark red with a soft lining covered in satin. Um, Rzhevsky had noted later in her memoirs that it was a kind of box made to hold a bottle of perfume or cheap jewelry. So their teeth, his teeth are just in this box. They give it to Rzhevskia and they tell her to keep an eye on it. And they, the reason they gave it to her is because she would be less likely than male officers to get drunk and lose them, which may be true. <laughs> but like, did he, did they see me last Wednesday? Cause that's also a fail, false. Like, well, we have to remember the view of women at this time is that they're very like, I don't know. They're like good. They're, they're better than men. They're sorry. I'm terrible. I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, I still think we're good and better than men but we can move on from that commentary retweet <laughs> so rajevsky is now participating in this investigation and on may 9th they managed to track down kathy huserman who was an assistant of hitler's personal dentist hugo blaschke and huserman led them to the reich chancellery where they held hitler's medical records um, which included x-rays of his teeth and she pulled them out and she said, look, these match exactly these teeth. These are Hitler's teeth. And this is kind okay. of Okay. <laughs> so this was confirmed subsequently by Fritz Ektman, a dental technician who also worked in the dentist office since 1938. So the Soviets were like, well, okay. But did somebody witness his death? Because like... This could be anything. They could have ripped his teeth out and placed them in the corpse. They could have. And then yeah. been like, here's some dentures. You know, I, like, what? <laughs> so The man was psychotic. I would not put anything past him. I agree. Um, so the Soviets were like, no, we need more information. Like, keep investigating. So Otto Gunsch, Hitler's personal adjutant. Uh, adjutant, sorry. I don't know why what? I said it like that. Adjutant. Definition. A D G. Your what? A D G. <laughs> it's just a military officer. He's he's kind of like an admin assistant to to Hitler. Oh, okay, like a secretary. Kind of, yeah. Okay. Um. So and then Johann Rattenhuber, head of Hitler's bodyguard, were arrested, and their testimonials testimonials were not available at the time which is like shady yeah so on the 13th of may the soviet army arrested harry mangerhausen a member of hitler's personal ss guard mm. oh i'm sorry mangerhausen apologies during an interrogation he confirmed that on the 30th of april he witnessed hitler's valet heinz lynch and gunch carrying the bodies of hitler and eva braun through the bunker's emergency exit up to the garden behind the Reich Chancellery, where they doused them in petrol and set them on fire. He identified the shell hole and provided additional details on what had occurred. So that was like their testimony that they got, which was not confirmed by the other two individuals who were supposedly there who were also arrested. You mean nazis weren't confirming each other's story about other nazis i know very huh. shocking i i i can't wrap my mind around it 
It is weird though, because at this point you're like, okay, you already lost. Like, why would you hide the details of Hitler's death? I don't know. Because it's interesting. He's not dead. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Well, Man, he honestly he probably is now, but well, who knows? Um, well, and honestly, like you're probably at this point, you're probably like, I'm gonna be in trouble anyway. The Soviets want me dead anyway. Like, why would I say that? That's fair. It could go either way, really. Um, so the Soviets are all they're all trying to conceal this, trying to keep it top secret, just based on Stalin's reaction to the reveal of Goebbels' findings. But somehow it got leaked and it was published by newspapers of the Allied occupied armies. So the Soviets were like pissed. And <clears throat> according to Rzhevskia, everybody was ordered to search for Hitler, even though her team had just done the work and sent it to the Soviet Union, like the head government, like, hey, these are our findings. We believe Hitler's dead. So then a second false investigation starts. And the Soviet press is repeatedly reporting that Hitler fled Argentina or was hiding in Spain under the because protection that's of the Spanish government. Stalin was saying. Yes, exactly. So hmm. in her memoir, Rzhevskia writes, I was absolutely convinced that we, along with all gathered information and key witnesses, will be sent to Moscow. I was sure that in a few days the whole world would know that we had found Hitler's corpse. So she was like so trusting in the fact that like, we did this investigation like yeah we had to keep it under wraps but um i just got a note from zoom that this is going to end in 10 minutes i know that's what, what the hell i guess i i mean i'm basically at the end of mine so if we have to stop this one and start a new one we're fine you better talk real fast oh uh, i only have three paragraphs left in my notes oh, um, <laughs> so she like so sure they're gonna share this great news to the world and then stalin was like hold up we're not telling anybody we remain in capitalist encirclement we're kind of like in charge of what the information gets leaked and then they told rajevskia and the rest of the team forget what you heard forget what you saw forget what you investigated and then the dental assistant kathy huserman was deported to the soviet union in july 1945 interrogated in two prisons and then sentenced to 10 years imprisonment and the decision the decision of the court was by participation in hitler's dental treatment she voluntarily helped a bourgeois state prolong the war because he needed his teeth cleaned yes so she was imprisoned because she was a dental assistant Anybody who did Stalin's teeth, I want imprisoned. Anybody who did Mussolini's teeth, I want imprisoned. Like, what the fuck? Let's go Hashtag. to Korea and get Kim Jong-un's assistant or whatever, or dental assistant. Let's round them up. All the dental assistants. Hashtag give imprison a, all dental assistants. <laughs> give me a goddamn break. Oh, my <laughs> God. I guarantee it's because they didn't want her talking about the investigation. Probably. It was probably to keep it under wraps and make sure that but like, couldn't none you of just, it leaked. Couldn't you just pay her off like we do with everyone else? Apparently not. But, like, this We're doesn't even come out. Prison. I know. And, like, none of this is known to the world until Rzhevskia published her memoirs in the 1960s. She, like, finally, after, like, Stalin's downfall and death, 
she finally published. And so no one was there after he was, you know, died and had his downfall and stuff. No one else in the government was there to be like, hey, still keep this quiet. I don't know. I didn't really research into that, but I mean, I feel like she probably thought it was far enough away from what had happened. And at this point in time, like we talked about last week, the percentage of people just in the U.S. alone who believe that Hitler was not dead, it was 70% when the war ended. So like you can probably assume at this point that these conspiracy theories are pretty widespread and there's a lot of them multiplying. So like she's just more noise and the government could have thought well nobody's gonna believe this like what what are you gonna believe there's a bunch of conflicting stories but at the same time stalin was directly in charge of preventing that information and knowingly spreading false information about this investigation so that's that's rzevskia i'm gonna keep reading her books if anything else interesting pops up i will definitely share it um but Ooh, yeah, real time inter- updates. Yeah. But I just thought it was so interesting that this individual who's just like here to interpret somehow gets handed a little maroon box of Hitler's teeth and then like is told to investigate. And then I don't know. It's just hmm. everybody, I'll let everybody draw their own conclusions, but that's kind of the, the full story. And I think it was interesting to include her story as kind of the, the quote unquote firsthand account of these findings so that is part two of is hitler dead dun 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 got 40 more minutes start the clock since when are we timed i don't know it hasn't done this before we've never had this issue no i guess they're just cracking down on it or something i guess well what i was going to say before freaking zoom rudely interrupted us was out of everything, I am very sad. Like in this story, not everything, World War II. In that story you just told, I'm very sad for that dental hygienist. Yes, I agree. Because regardless, like, I mean, I understand she could have been a bad person and like, you know, helping Nazis rip out Jewish teeth or whatever. Like I, I could, I very much understand she could be a super terrible person. But to literally go to jail just because she was hitler's dental hygienist like give me a break yeah it's pretty bad like could you imagine you're just doing your job yeah and then they're trying to make a living during war yes (laughs) like she didn't i mean she's probably just happy she was employed during the war and not like yeah she's working in a munitions factory or something she probably went home and was like, I had to fucking deal with that man's teeth. Like, I wanted to stab him in the tongue. I mean, she could literally have hated him, but a job is a job. Yeah. War. And apparently she was transported to Siberia, which is like... Fucking yikes. Russians. And she, ha- she was forced to do labor work in the gulag. What the fuck? So, yeah, honestly, a mess. And she, yeah. Yeah, but anyways, um, well, let's talk about more German atrocities or whatever your Nazi story is going to be. Well, it's hard it to avoid starts, atrocities. But. It, listen, it's not normally like what I tell. It starts kind of sad, um, but 
makes its way to good. Wow. I know. Look at me. Who are you? Um, newly single, ready to mingle. <laughs> ready to mingle with happiness. <laughs> and positivity and not live in fucking negativity all the time. All right. So we are going to talk about Harry Haft. Okay. Have you ever heard of him? I have not. Okay. Neither have I until I literally saw <laughs> I was like, this should Instagram I? post. So Harry Haft was born July 28th, 1925 in Poland. In 1939, at age 14, he witnessed the invasion and occupation of Poland. And during this time, he ran a smuggling business with his brother. In 19, so between 1939 and 1942, he's running the smuggling business. In 1942, he's imprisoned in, like, between this time, he's going through quite a lot of German Nazi, like, concentration camps. And um, his Jewish descent was overshadowed partially by his strong physical stature. So in 1943, a year later, an S an SS overseer trained him to be a boxer and was having him compete in fights to the death in front of other military personnel. So these took place at Jaworzno, which was a concentration camp. <laughs> this is how they measured it. A concentration camp, a coal mine north of Auschwitz. <laughs> What's a coal mine north? I don't know. <laughs> Hello, we need to get somebody from West Virginia on the line. Okay, that's still me, kind of, but I still don't know. <laughs> All right. That's true. So, You're close enough. If anybody yeah, close enough. Let me call know. my relatives. Um, so that's a coal mine north of Auschwitz. I'm assuming like you know right up there during this time half participated in 76 fights now mind you those are fights to the death so he won 76 times jaworzno was eventually dissolved due to the soviet red army advancing which we just kind of discussed mm -hmm. and this led to many of the surviving inmates being sent west on what we know as death marches if you're not familiar with World War II or a death march, basically it's the middle of the effing winter and they're making all of these prisoners march from one camp to another. Doesn't matter the weather, doesn't matter if they've eaten, doesn't matter if they have to go to the bathroom. And if you fall and you cannot get back up immediately, the SS would just shoot you. Hence death march. So Haft was able to escape during oh. a march in April, 1945. And so there, this is all like two years. So 1943 to April, 1945, he's competing in 76 fights. Uh, they're dissolving this concentration camp and now they're on a death march. So in 1945, he's like, mm, I'm out. And he escapes. So I'm just, I just want to know, I'm very impressed by him having the energy and the strength to be able to one win 76 fights to the death and two be strong enough to somehow escape a death march and 
I don't know if you're going to talk about this. He he fought for military officials like in front of them. Yes. So I don't know if he was just like really entertaining and they like liked him and fed him more or something or well, I don't know what's going on there, but I'm just surprised and kind yes. of impressed to be yes. honest. So I felt the same way and what I have come the conclusion I have come up with is just obviously context clues but also things I've read previously. Um my understanding was if you, if they benefited from you more than just like getting your slave labor, the officers would do nice things for the people that would, that they could benefit from. So like, if they were having, if they were, if you were a woman and they were like, like wink, wink, seeing you, Mm -hmm. they would give you extra loaves of bread. Um, or they would give you better bread or meat and cheese from like the stuff that they could get. So I would assume that this, the, the fact that an SS officer trained him to be a boxer, which obviously takes time out of his day. So he sees something in you, he's probably going to keep your nutrition up. So you continue to win because if you win, he wins because he trained you. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I was assuming, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Mm -hmm. That's based off of what other things I've read. I would assume that's what it was. So while he's on the run, because even though we just went on a spiel, don't forget 1945, he escapes from this death march. Um, and that was also really quick. Another spiel. Um, that was something also that they had to they, as in like the SS and the Nazis had to like overcome was being out on a death March with a bunch of, um, prisoners. And just like, in reality, there weren't enough prisoners or officers to prisoner ratio, kind of like how it is in the fucking United States. I right was going to say it's like the um, teacher student ratio. <laughs> yes. Or, you know, prisons, uh, schools, whatever, what have you, there's not enough higher ups to to lowers oh right so, us equals incarceration i forgot oops exactly um so it was a lot easier like if you had the strength like half did it was a lot easier for you to escape during a death march rather than trying to like climb a fence at one of the camps so while he's on the run he killed a bathing german soldier and donned his uniform. This is like so, so now this a is movie. survival of the fittest. What'd you say? I said this is like a movie plot. It could be. I'd watch it. I would too. So due to his camouflage, he because he now has this Nazi uniform on, and he is now free to roam, but obviously still be smart about it. So he's able to stay under the radar by moving from village to village until the end of the war. Unfortunately, his killing was not quite over because at one point he did feel the need to kill two elderly individuals who had harbored him on their farm because they found out he wasn't a German or I'm sorry, he thought they found out he wasn't a German soldier and he needed to protect himself and he didn't want to chance them going to the authorities. So it was kind of like his only option again, survival Um, at the end of the day, like he's been through so much, he just wants to live. So 1945, um, 
you know, war has ended. We're raw rawing, you know, all over Germany, Poland, and whatever, trying to tell everybody how awesome we are because we're late to the party. And Haft is relieved to find a displaced persons camp operated operated by the U.S. Army, so that he's able to like relax. He doesn't have to pretend to be a Nazi soldier anymore, and he's just like trying to regain his strength and be healthy. 1947, Haft wins an, quote, amateur Jewish heavyweight championship. Nice. Nice by who? You guessed it, the U.S. Army. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and this took place in post-war Munich, and he receives a trophy from General Lucius Clay. But, like, why does it have to be <laughs> amateur Jewish heavyweight championship? Like, what are we doing? I mean, after 76 fights to the death and winning, I feel like he could beat anyone. He should be, like, the regular champion. I'm just, like, why are we, why is Jewish in the name is the point I'm getting at. Like, read the room. Because it's the 40s and we still need to, we still need to keep Keep making sure we're, we're differentiating here. Read the room. You're in Munich. Read the room. <laughs> they need Rajevsky the to be their interpreter. Okay. Read the country. So, God, fucking hate it here. So in 1948, he's only 22. Younger than we are right now, Whitley. Stop it, but also continue. (laughs) Haft immigrates to the U.S. with help from his uncle who happens to live in New Jersey. He makes his living by competing in lightweight, heavyweight prize fighting until 1949. His record consists of 21 fights, which are a total of 104 rounds. He wins 13 of those, eight of which are by KOs, knockouts, in case you're not into fighting, and eight losses, which five of those were by KOs. Uh, So he was able to win his first 12 fights before being beaten by Irish-born Pat O'Connor on January 5th, 1949. So he fights 12 fights between 1948 and January 5th, 1949 wins them all. And then is beat for the first time by Pat O'Connor. So Haft's final fight was against Rocky Marciano, who ends up being very well known. You looked at me like you knew who that was. Rocky? Not Rocky Balboa. I'm just kidding. (laughs) So against Rocky Marciano on <laughs> July 18th, 1949 in Rhode Island auditorium Haft was looking really good until he was knocked out by Marciano in the first half of the third round Haft later noted in his biography that he was threatened by the mafia and forced to throw the fight. So he claims that was never that has never been substantiated, but that's just what he says in his biography. So just to confirm, I think Marciano they based Rocky Balboa off of him, right? 
<laughs> You're making me feel crazy, but I think that is <laughs> no you. <the> <laughs> so uh let's see no uh it really says it didn't inspire the one on uh, chuck wepner what i swear to you chuck wepner oh uh, see google's telling me something else google's li- that's what google's telling me is chuck wepner well, Google's got some explaining to do because <laughs> Google's telling me he inspired the Rocky Balboa films. You know what? It doesn't matter. That's not the story. Anyways, continue. Let's move on from Rocky Marciano slash Balboa. Doesn't matter. Slash Google Chuck is Wepner. Yeah. Maybe that'll be my next story is who inspired Rocky Balboa. Who is the real Rocky Balboa? <laughs> So anyway, again, not substantiated, but he claimed the mafia threatened him and forced him to throw the fight. We'll never know. Maybe Harry Haft will come visit me in my dream with Stalin. So after his loss, Haft retired. He marries Miriam Wafsoniker on November of 1949, and they open a fruit and vegetable store in Brooklyn. Oh my God. That's which after everything he's been through, good for him. That's what he needs. Exactly. His eldest son, Alan Scott was born in 1950 and followed by a daughter and a third son. So altogether he has four kids. April, 2007, literally 2007, not that, not that long ago. Haft was inducted into the national Jewish sports hall of fame. Unfortunately, he passes away in November 2007 of cancer in Pembroke Pines, Florida, at age 82. A long life, though. Well-deserved life. Yes. And he accomplished so much. Yeah. And that's That's amazing. That was a good one. That was very uplifting. I'm glad we ended on that one. Yeah. Very lovely. Yeah. Well, I've heard, I usually like to chat a little bit after we finish, but I hear a lot of yelling going on at the dog. And then I heard a vacuum and then Maggie came up huffing and puffing, looked at me and then left. So I'm going to go check on that situation. (laughs) Probably should. That doesn't sound good. No, but thank you all for joining us on this nazi germany centric episode only a matter of time till we both have the literal same exact story yeah i agree wait why did it get so dark because i turned off my white google oh my god google page it looks horrific (laughs) (laughs) is that stalin visiting me in my dreams oh he moved argentina (laughs) (laughs) okay all right that's enough all right